So good morning. Nice to see you all. Um, we're thinking today, or continuing our series really, thinking about this comparison between what does our culture say and what does our Bible and what does the church say. So all the way through, we're trying to compare those two things and looking at a whole range of issues and saying, what does the church say about this? What does society say about this? And then how do the two sort of interact with each other? And today we're thinking, is happiness a good goal in life? And really, if you asked almost anyone and said, why do you do the job you do? Why do you live in the house that you live in? And all sorts of other questions, the answer would be, it makes me happy. It's the thing that I find fulfillment in. It's the thing that I enjoy. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people in this church, for example. Uh, I know joggers in this church. I don't understand them. But if I ask them, why do you jog? Oh, it brings me happiness. I don't understand that. Other people who like make things out of wood and all sorts of stuff. But generally, it's because it makes them happy. And in some ways, that's, that's a good thing, isn't it? And so we're kind of contemplating that question today. There was a bit of research done, though, asking people, if you had to choose between happiness or greatness, which would you choose? So if you'd like to turn to someone near you and ask them, if you could live a life that achieved greatness or happiness, which would you pick? Right, should we have a little vote? And I'll see how you compare with national average. So who thinks happiness? And who would say greatness? Ooh, so we've got a bit of a mixture, haven't we? Nationally, about 85% or so pick happiness in surveys that they've done. Which is interesting, isn't it? I wonder those of you who pick greatness, what are the great things that we'd like to achieve? I bet there's all sorts of things. And so that's kind of some of what we're doing today, evaluating those two things. Uh, the philosopher Robert Nozick did a bit... Noz, Nozick. That sounds better, doesn't it? <laughs> Apologies if you're watching online. <laughs> I think that's only my second worst blooper as well. <laughs> Let's edit that from the YouTube if we can. Um, but he did a bit of research and he was trying to say, is it true that people really want happiness above everything else? And so he came up with this idea. If you could be plugged in to some sort of system that would be like virtual reality, and you'd be happy your whole life, but fed virtual reality, would you do it? Would you get plugged in? Is happiness good enough? The same sort of thing was brought out in the film A Matrix a while ago. Kind of that comparison of, is it, would happiness, is that more important than reality or not? And for most people, they would say, well, I would not want to be plugged in. Reality is worth something, even if it's not as happy as the virtual reality would be. Which brings us this sort of big question, doesn't it? Does happiness matter? How much does it matter? I uh, used to do a little bit of sociology, and some of you might have come across this, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's all about how do you motivate people. And there's various different levels of things that you could do. So, for example, um, if you were in a really well-paid job, and I said, I'll give you another £5,000 to come in at the weekend and work as well. You might say, no, it's not worth that to me. You might do. But it's that idea about what things are worth to people. And actually, happiness is not at the top. There are other things that trumpet. Thinking then a little bit about Jesus now and comparing the two, our society and Jesus, I wonder, did Jesus enjoy his life? 
If you met Jesus on a random day, would he have a smile on his face? Would, be, would he be enjoying himself? What was Jesus like when people met him? I have to say, I can't imagine him at the parties he went to, sitting in the corner and grimacing. I don't think that, that doesn't seem to me like Jesus. I wonder when he healed people, did he enjoy it? I can't imagine he wouldn't have done. How could you see a leper get healed, or a blind man see, or a lame person walk and not have a smile on your face? Like this life has been transformed, and Jesus, of course, was able to do that through the power of God. Did he take pleasure in his life? I'm sure that he did. Obviously, he had difficult times too, but I don't think he was a misery. I don't think that's who our Jesus is. He says, though, to the disciples uh, just towards the end of his life, in this world, you will have trouble like he had himself. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And I think that's true for us too, isn't it? That as we want to push back the darkness, as we want to change the world, as we want to make it better, we are going to have opposition. If we don't, a good question is, are we pushing? Are we taking risks? Are we trying to see society changed? Certainly Jesus was. Paul says in Romans, we consider our sufferings incomparable to the glory that awaits us. If you're a Christian, if you're someone who knows Jesus, you have a glorious future. Like God has prepared great and amazing things for when you meet him. And it may be that at the moment life's not easy, but that is part of the expectation of what is awaiting you. I had a brief think about what does the church think and has thought about happiness, and I have to say it's a mixed bag. So here are a few Christians, and I went up to about the 14th century, and you'd probably notice something if you compared them all, apart from the fact they're all men. Um, none of them look happy, do they? You have to get to about the 16th century before you find a happy Christian in art. Isn't that kind of weird? And maybe that was just style, maybe that was just how they drew things. But, you know, the image of a Christian hopefully is one that has got some joy to them. I read a little bit of Augustine's book, uh, Confessions. He was a very early church father. And he wrote this whole book about the things that he confessed that he did wrong. And I was reading and it was saying that the person in charge of the order, the kind of um, monastery kind of where he'd spent part of his life, told him to stop coming so often. Because he'd spend like three hours a day saying, and then I did this wrong. And then I failed to do this right. And then... And the list would go on. But are we meant to live that sort of life? If you went into some churches in the UK, in fact, quite a lot, you'd find them still using a very traditional book called the Book of Common Prayer. And in it, it has this phrase in the confession, the bit where you say sorry. And it says, have mercy on us, miserable offenders. And I wouldn't want to do that, would you? I'm all right... I don't like it, but I am an offender. I know that every week I do stuff God doesn't like. I know that I fall short of his standards. I know that, but I'm not meant to live in misery. <laughs> we, uh, a while ago in this church, started to reintroduce the confession. We reintroduced that moment of saying sorry. And the reason for that is that unless you kind of go, I'm sorry, and kind of go down into that, actually, I've done the stuff wrong, and I'd be scuppered apart from Jesus, and I needed him to die on the cross for me, you never get into the up of like appreciating what he did on the cross in genuinely loving him and going, Jesus, without you, I'd be nowhere. Thank you so much for what you did for me. We're not meant to live in misery. 
Repentance, saying sorry, is a good thing, but then joy should fill us that we are loved and saved by Jesus. I've asked myself the question this week, which day of Easter do I live on? That last week of his life when he gets arrested and gets killed and rises and so on, which day do I live on? Am I living on the days when it all looks really bleak? Or actually, do I remember that Easter Sunday came and Jesus rose? And that's the thing that has transformed my life. Luke writes of Jesus, and he says this, that Jesus said to his followers as they came back from first having healed people and seen amazing things happen. And he says, don't rejoice that the Spirit submits you. Don't rejoice that you've done amazing things and seen the lame walk and so on, but rejoice your names are written in heaven. That should give us joy. That should make us filled with happiness. Joy also is one of the gifts of the Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is growing in us. I hope that I'm growing to be patient and forgiving and all the rest, but I also want to grow filled with joy. Have you ever met a Christian that you think, where is your joy? I've met a few where they just look grumpy, like they're just sort of hanging on in there until Jesus comes back. And part of me thinks, well, that's sort of okay. Maybe life's rubbish. And that is sometimes the, the case, isn't it? We don't need to pretend. But at the same time, I think we are meant to be joyful. We're meant to be filled with the joy of Jesus. Not perhaps a sort of bubbly necessarily, like a really shallow thing, but a really deep and meaningful happiness and joy. A little Bible trivia question for you. Could anyone think of where you'd find the word happy in the Bible? Have we got any? Go on then, Pam. Where, what, what, what does it say? Good. So if you looked in the Beatitudes, yeah? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who humble. Blessed are... And it goes on, right? But actually, you can translate it happy. Because part of that group of words that is translated blessed is also happy. So there is something where God is meant to lift our spirits. That when he blesses us, when he does good stuff in our lives, it's meant to raise us up. And it's meant to give us happiness and a deep joy within us. But I wonder, what about happiness in other things? And I came across uh, this verse in Ecclesiastes. Not very often we use the Ecclesiastes in this church, but anyway. This is what I have observed, says the writer, that it is good and appropriate for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their labor under the sun during the days of life God has given them. So just a mole for you. What have you done this week that you think, oh, I found satisfaction in that? I was pleased with what I did then. Before we hit next week, what is there this week that you're like, oh, that was good. I feel happy about the way that God's used me or the thing that has happened this week. It is absolutely right and good to take satisfaction, to rejoice, to find happiness in the things that God has given us to do. It's also right and good that we would find happiness in nature, and many of you do that as well. Uh, it says in Romans that the heavens declare the glory of God, that when we go outside this afternoon and when you see all of nature, that that's meant to lift our spirits. That's meant to remind us of the goodness of God. But in that same uh, book in Romans, it also says how Christians went wrong and how other people went wrong. And it says this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and they love creation more than the creator. And that's quite easy to do, isn't it? That we get so caught up in all sorts of other happinesses, things that make us pleased, that we forget that God is the one who underpins it all, that he is the giver, and we get too focused on the gift. This, though, was the passage that we got read to us today. And I wonder if there was a part of it that you thought, oh, I've got that on a coaster at home. I could take a guess which bit it was. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and they will come in and go out and find pasture. And the thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I would bet you don't have on a coaster about stealing and killing, but you might have, and you can get a lot of coasters and stuff with this one on it. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Other ways to translate that is abundant life, a life that is more than any other sort of life, a life that is superior and better, a better kind of life. And so I had a little look, I googled this week, what kind of life does God want me to have? I bet you could guess what answers came up. There were all sorts of things, but in amongst it was, God wants you to be rich, God wants you to be powerful, God wants you to be strong, God wants you to be, and there was a whole list of things. And it made me, it was all built on this verse. And I thought, is it true? The most interesting bit I read was a guy arguing that I should go and hire a nice suit, which was a bit insulting. But he thought I should do this in order to prepare myself for the blessing God would one day bring into my life. I should go and hang out in hotel lobbies of fancy places I couldn't afford to prepare myself for the blessing that God will bring. I should be doing all sorts of stuff because God wants me to be rich. That's an odd Google search if you do it, by the way. God wants you rich. There's lots of people across the world who believe that to be true. But is it true? If it were, then when life goes wrong, or when we're not happy, or when we're not rich, we'd have to say, well, God, are you really there? But the secret to understanding this verse is actually found in the word used for life. And the word used for life is Zoe. And that's an interesting word because it's not your breathing out, breathing in kind of life. It's not that sort of life. It's life that's a gift from God. And it's the life that continues after you die. So for a Christian, we believe that your eternal life has already started. The day you became a Christian, God said death is nothing to worry about. You're going to have a life that goes on after death when I bring you home and you get to be with me. That's your Zoe life, your eternal life. That's just the word in the original translation. And so therefore the life that we have is abundant, is more than, is superior, is better than any other sort of life because it won't end and because you'll get to be with Jesus and because he will bring eternal happiness and goodness to you. That is the sort of life it promises not necessarily everything brilliant now, but actually in the big picture. When you stand back and say, my life is not just on the earth, but when I meet Jesus, that whole big picture life is better and more abundant than any other sort of life. Just in coming into the end, if this was my happiness-ometer, I don't know where you would put yourself at the moment, or your joyometer, if you like. On the left, I have loads of fun. 
but I forget the point of being here. I can easily have a week like that where I'm like, I'm just having loads of fun. And then I forget that I'm here for a reason, that God put me here to love him and to help others to love him. Or maybe you're on the right. You're a grimacing person. And God might say, no, find joy. Know that I want to give you joy, but also find joy in the gifts that I have given you in creation and in all the other things that I've given you. Our second reading said, trust in God, take delight in him, commit to him, wait patiently on him when life is hard and don't fret. The life that we have been given is an amazing life in Jesus. And it's important, I think, for us to reflect on that and to sit back and to say, have I really understood this? Have I understood this Zoe, this incredible life that I've been given? Am I enabling God to fill me with his joy, even when life's hard? And am I walking in that? So let's pray. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll see if there's anything else that God would like to say to us this morning. So Father, we give you thanks for the life that you've given us. We thank you for this beautiful world. We thank you for the good things in our lives. But Father, we thank you most that you came and died on the cross and rose, that we could be forgiven, that you would adopt us into your family, and that we would receive that life that doesn't end, that different sort of life where we can know you, Lord, help us to live this life that you've given us. Help us to find that balance of happiness and joy and also not forgetting why we're here. Jesus, we thank you that you lived as one of us and that you lived a life that wasn't grimacy and absent of joy. Lord, help us to enjoy this life, this life of abundance and fullness that you've given us. Not a life that's necessarily going to be wealthy and the rest of it, but that life with a deep joy that is a gift from you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm.